0: Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the most interesting DVD and Blu-ray labels around because of their extensive catalog of horror, cult, exploitation, and vintage sexploitation films. Unlike most companies, Vinegar Syndrome is also a restoration company with their own in-house lab, where they've done new restorations for companies such as Arrow, Massacre Video, and Drafthouse Films. Check out Vinegar Syndrome today and grab your copy of Dolomite, Sugar Cookies, Jack Frost, Psycho Cop Returns, Malibu High, or Nurse Sherry. While I'm a little more knowledgeable than my co-host, I can assure you that I love Vinegar Syndrome. Whenever I'm at a convention, their table is one of the first I hit, and much to my wife's chagrin, I spend way too much time going over every single title. I own more than just a few. So once again, head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. michael byers and today i am flying solo uh this is episode 16 of the show and uh it was a last minute decision to go solo on this one uh nick as our listeners know runs a public access station in maryland and uh while he's been really great about you know us us always trying to find time to record this show sometimes life just intervenes life uh You know, he's the manager of a station, he's got two children at home, just moved into a house very recently, and you know, is also trying to have a social life. So, I decided to come on this week and uh, just jump on in and just do something myself. Originally, me and my wife Amanda were going to do an episode together just about uh, her descent into being a cinephile, but... Of course, we we were out of town for a little bit, and with our work schedules, she also couldn't do it. So today, I am flying solo. Uh, so once again, here is another moment with Michael. I think this is the third time I've had to do this, and I enjoy them. I, I enjoy kind of just being able to pick a topic and talk about it. And today, I'm going to talk about a little bit about... Um, the obsession that comes with collecting. Um, a big part of film culture, at least for those who are like me, is collecting and the art of the hunt. And I, I don't want to say it's easier now. Because this is, this is the golden age of being a cinephile. Because there's so much cool shit out now. And not only so much cool stuff, but there's so much that is just great quality. I'm going to apologize. Right now, listeners, there's a lawnmower outside that decides to always cut the grass this early in the morning. So it's just something we're going to have to contend with. But anyways, as I was saying, there's a lot of cool shit out nowadays. And not only that, but it's really great quality. Uh Because film nerds such as myself and those act- those same film nerds, like those of our sponsor at Vinegar Syndrome, care enough about films. You know, it's not just, you know, Gone with the Wind that gets amazing restorations anymore. No.
1: Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
0: And companies such as Vinegar Syndrome or or Scream Factory, Arrow Video, Criterion, they're all doing great things for cinema. And with that comes the issue of more stuff to buy and I've got money for or time to even watch I keep a separate shelf on my uh, on my media shelf just for stuff I haven't watched yet and it's full and yeah I, I guess I can cut myself some slack you know if I buy a Disney film that I've seen before Like I just bought um, Bambi not too long ago I own Bambi, I've seen Bambi but I haven't watched it since I bought it and that's the whole point of buying is to rewatch it so I stick it on the shelf of things I haven't watched yet until you know it's earned the right to be get put on the shelf and as of my last count I own over I own about 730 movies actually I'd say over that uh, I use an app called my movies that has become a lifesaver uh People who collect as many movies as I do probably know this feeling where you want to show people cool stuff that you find. Uh, so you lend things out like I often do. And I got to the point where I was forgetting who I was lending shit out to. So I thought, you know what? I need to figure out something. And I used to keep a detailed spreadsheet because I'm such a nerd. I couldn't just like, you know, write, oh, I own a copy of Gone with the Wind. I don't know why I picked that film. Um, you know, I don't just own a copy of Evil Dead, I had to write down who directed it, who starred in it, who wrote it, all of this stuff that no one cared about other than me. But because of my obsessive nature, I felt it was important. But it was taking me forever to go through my entire catalog, and, you know, I also had to, like, separate if this was a criterion collection, because that's important to me. A little side tangent, because this entire episode is going to be tangential. I don't know if tangential is a word, but it sounded good. Um, when I first started getting into filmmaking, I, I was in high school, and I was part of a screenwriting competition for high schoolers. And before I actually knew who he was, I met a filmmaker by the name of Tate Bunker, who later on went to went on to become one of my professors at the Uni- University of Wisconsin Milwaukee for a film. I first learned about the Criterion Collection because of him. He in in his like how the screenwriting competition worked was that everyone who wrote a script came in and sat down and you know they 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 wrote a script first I want to say like maybe 50 students or something were chosen uh based on their first script to come in talk to a bunch of filmmakers and refine their script and by going to like class by class for lack of a better term and you know learn things about structure and character and story and um I don't remember what uh, Tate Bunker was teaching us, but he showed us he showed us a couple clips from one of his favorite movies, or at least that's what he told us. Eight and a half. And uh, only thing I remember from this, for some damn reason, is him saying this is eight and a half on their Criterion DVD, uh, and he was saying that how Criterion is a mark of class, and if you ever find a DVD with the Criterion C on it, buy it because it's probably considered one of the best films ever made. And that's all I knew about Criterion for a long time, but it kind of stuck with me. Where Criterion for me is a, is a class above. Um, but yeah, and I've been I was obsessively collecting movies since I got I got well my first DVD player I guess was technically my PlayStation 2. My parents bought it for me for Christmas. I a, kind of it kind they kind of tipped me out because I got a DVD before I got a my PlayStation my family always used to have a christmas eve party still does but uh i got star wars episode two i was in middle school on dvd and i looked at my aunt and was like but i don't have a dvd player uh you're gonna have to return this and get the vhs and my mom just kind of looked at me and said don't worry we'll figure it out and that was my tip off that i was getting something and um i became obsessed with buying these things because, like, the Star Wars Episode 2 DVD was just chock full of a bunch of features. And I don't remember the exact uh, series of events, but DVD features are a big reason why I decided to become a filmmaker. And I think I might have told it on this podcast before, but um, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds was a big one for me, where I was like, I was, I was laying on the couch watching a DVD with my mother, and I was like, make these movies are tangible you can make this yeah this looks like it costs a lot of money and there's a lot of things involved in it but i can make a fucking movie so dvd features have always been a big part of things for me even to this day well i don't have as much time to watch them anymore they mean a lot hell like when i was reviewing this week this week's episode of uh, this week's blu-ray for nurse sherry part of our sponsorship with vinegar syndrome i didn't feel like i was done with it until i watched the interviews and other things on it like it's just part of it like i just love hearing stories i love the, i love kind of being a fly there's a lot to love about it but um i'm a firm believer that to be a cinephile is more than just loving movies it's an obsession it's a passion and everyone's obsession manifests in different ways. Some people obsessively go to movies, which I kind of do, which it's not, and not because I don't love to, it's just, I don't have the time to some people obsessively want to make them. Some people want to obsessively buy them or, you know, sometimes you're like me and you you, you're just obsessive. You're just an obsessive person. Like I buy more things than I have the time for. And then I constantly ask myself, like, what is it like? Is it quantity or quality? Um, you know, and it's, I try to sell things to make money to buy more things, but that's always difficult for me because it's like, I it's rare that I buy a movie that I don't think I'm going to like. So it's like, oh, what's, what do I sell this time? What isn't worth my time? Like, I had I had a dilemma over this past week. We went to Iowa to visit my wife's family, and there is a store there called BAM, uh, Books A Million. It's kind of like a Barnes and Noble ripoff with the... With a less impressive movie section. But they do have a dump-in. And uh, a dump bin is always a dangerous thing. You, most of what you find is crap. But you know, you'll find something good. And bam, for whatever reason, had all of their movies marked five bucks. And I found uh, three sets of the Toho Godzilla collection. Uh, it's some of the later ones. just like the 90s and 2000 Godzilla films. Which I ha- I've seen but I'm not as familiar with it. But, you know, these Toho collections, when they were in Target originally, they were like 15 bucks. So, you know, the fact that I can get them for 5 And it's like, I can get six movies for 15 bucks. That's a great deal. But then I had the little voice in my head going, well, Michael, do you want these Toho Godzilla films? Which the answer is yes, I did. Do. I didn't buy them, though. Or do you want to save your money and instead put it towards uh, Arrow, who... You know, now ever since they started doing a U.S. division, they put out a new Blu-ray for uh, Dario Argento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And I, while well, I own this movie on Blu-ray, on a very unspectacular version of this film. And I was like, Ugh, I could get six movies for 15, or I could save this money, spend probably a little bit more, but get this really nice limited edition copy of Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And that's dangerous because limited edition or out of print are trigger words for a collector. It's like uh, Synapse, a company I really love, they often do very limited edition steelbooks lately of uh, a lot of Dario Argento's films. They did Tenebrae and they did Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers. And I own both of those films and I own the steelbooks because... Something in my brain tells me, Michael, this is limited edition, you're going to want to own this. And yes, while they're all, there is that chance that they're going to release a standalone disc, it's not the same. You know, I want the soundtrack, I want all the cuts of the films, I want the cool collective packaging. It's, it's a sickness. And at least of a company like Synapse, I can... Justify my purchase, or even Arrow. It's like you know what? I can buy this really nice collector's edition from Scream Factory, Arrow, Synapse, or something. It's going to come with all these bells and whistles, good packaging, and I can justify that. But then, like the one that just really frustrates me—not because of the company—they do great work. It's just like scares me. It is Twilight Time. they're not exclusively a horror company or anything they do do some horror titles but like when they release something that i really want i feel like i have to buy this because i think they're limited to either three or five thousand copies um and that's how they can get a lot of cool titles is because they have such limited numbers and then i'm you know i freak out because i feel like i need to own it like I'm not a huge fan of it, but, you know, John Carpenter is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. They released uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, and I feel like I had to buy it because I knew if I missed it, I don't know if I'd ever have a chance to get it again. And, you know, there's nothing special about the packaging. There's not usually a lot of features. There's ma- there's usually a commentary and some isolated film score, which is cool, but, like, I'm paying premium rates, you know, because they charge more, uh, and I understand why. They believe, you know, there's a, there's a set retail price for a reason. But I've missed out on a lot of good films. I missed out on John Carpenter's Christine, which actually has gotten a Blu-ray release since. But I missed out on um, Fright Night. I missed out on um, Sam Peckinpah's Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which luckily Arrow has put out a version of. Uh, I think they have a lot of Woody Allen's films. So, you know, it's, it's this this internal fear that I'm going to miss something cool. Because... uh. There's also the sad state of how the physical media game is going nowadays where Blu-rays are probably gonna is probably gonna be our last very dominant form of physical media. Four K Blu-rays are, you know, picking up, but um I've heard it said before or um like how much better can they get? Yeah, I'm sure like Transformers or whatnot will look fucking stunning on four K. And don't get me wrong, when I saw there was a Goodfellas 4K, like, I got really intrigued. But, because I've got a 4K television. I don't have a 4K player yet. That's the problem. But, like, how much better can they get? I'm fine with Blu-ray. Yeah, there's probably some titles I'll pick up on 4K eventually. Maybe prices go down. But the sad state of affairs is, you know, some of the movies, some of the very obscure movies I have, they might not ever get a better release. And there's some movies that haven't even made it to Blu-ray yet. And they might not ever. Which is why I'm a collector of everything. I collect DVDs. Like, not as often, but you know, if I can't get anything else, I collect VHS. I just, I, I, the idea that one day I might not be able to see something, might not be able to get something, legitimately freaks me out in a weird, fucking way that I can't quite explain. And a part of that's probably just the ADD and OCD nature I have, but some of it's just like legitimate fear, like especially because I'm a, I'm a young man. I'm, I'm. I'm gonna turn be 27 this year I'm not that old but I've missed a lot being born in 1990 you know I just missed the 80s boom and I I didn't start caring about movies until a lot later into the 90s early 2000s so there's a lot I missed and there's a lot I'm playing catch up on and then I think I might have said this in the first episode it's like do I take the time to see like the big important movie like Full Metal Jacket or do I because I'm really big into the Discovery or do I, you know, go towards the more niche market and find stuff that I've never heard of that might get the same reaction out of me? And I feel like that's why I collect. It's because I always want to be finding cool things and have the best of everything. And Plus, in a weird way, it's about showing off. Like, not, you know, like, look how much better my collection is than yours. But it's like, you love, I love when people come over and just look at everything that's on my shelf. And because it's a very eclectic, idiosyncratic collection. There's a little bit of everything, and I'm also really fascinated by how people organize their movies. Um, you know, I love the idea of, like, say, keeping all my Criterions together or keeping all my Screen Factories together, um, because I love when Spines match up. But that being said, you know, you get, say, like, screen factory some some like releases have slipcases some don't and if i put them in or numerical order of their release they won't all look uniform and that'll bug me more than if i just have them alphabetical plus by having them alphabetical you get some really interesting movies next to each other like i love knowing that you know almost famous is right next to the amazing spider-man which is right next to american psycho which is right next to an american werewolf in london which is right next to apocalypse now like those are those are just a couple a slew of movies that are so weird that they shouldn't be next to each other and i kind of like that i also thought about separating it by genre but since i've i own a lot of cult and horror films that's going to be the most probably pride you know predominant genre and where it just takes a lot of the phone out of it and then i've got some friends who do theirs by like oh here's my horror collection and everything else because but i don't know i just kind of like the idea of putting everything on the shelf because of how overwhelming it is if it's overwhelming and like someone comes over and it's like i'll pick a movie and they're like oh shit there's a lot to choose from that's kind of fun because maybe then their eye won't go necessarily towards you know the easy one like anchorman 2 or or some or like neighbor or, you know, something like that. And they're like, oh, what's this movie? You know, August Underground. That would be a weird choice. Like, I own August Underground. I met Fred Vogel. He gave me a really hard sell on the video. I didn't really like it. It wasn't for me. But I own it. And it's on the shelf. And it's really strange to, like, know that August Underground is, like, right next to an evening with Kevin Smith. That's kind of funny. Um... (laughs) I don't know why I'm just going through the A's right now. Just, that's what's in front of me. Um, but no, I, I I really do believe that a lot of my love for cinema comes from just obsession. Because it, it's... I know, I, I've got a lot of friends who are like, oh, I like movies. But movies are disposable for them. It's like, oh, I'm going to put this on and I'll watch it and probably enjoy it. And then probably never think about it again. Or like, you know, I've also got friends who own like maybe 15 movies and i'm not knocking them that you know every not everyone's gonna be like me not everyone's gonna have the same just thirst and actually maybe hunger is a better word for like hunger just to consume and not just to consume but like to think about it and to experience new things that's cool um but for me it's like it's just become an obsession and i feel like that's what being a cinephile is, is you just want to open yourself to new things and obsess over new stuff. And for a while, I thought it was, it was maybe like hoarding. Like when I discovered Lucio Falci, you know, the Italian godfather of Gore. I thought, oh, my God, this guy is so nuts. He's so cool. Why don't people know about him? And then I thought maybe it's good that people don't know about him maybe he's my filmmaker that other people don't know and then you know that was like a high school mentality but then as I got a little older I realized no 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 that's a dumb way to view it because I want to share these things and that's what I found a lot of the fun comes from it's like if I see something really obscure and weird it's like oh I just need to show other people this because it excites me um and that was kind of like a pre pre- I don't want to say prerequisite but like when I started seeing She's Now My Wife, Amanda... You know, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for someone who's super into movies. I just wanted to find someone who's open to liking them. Um, and I think within, like, our first couple of dates, like... We had watched uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Because it's one of my all-time favorite films. And it's the reason I decided to go to film school. And then we watched Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. Because it was one of the best films... Probably I've seen in the last 10 years. And I think about that movie almost daily. And I was like, I guess these are going to be two deciding factors of, like, how this goes, how she responds. And you know, I'm not going to say it, it would have been over if she would dislike them. But, like, I feel like we would have had to work a little bit towards it just to see, like, because movies are such a big part of my life that I want someone who's not necessarily going to be as obsessive as me, but who's just going to be understanding and likes the idea of them you know, and I knew she was a keeper when, like, we went to go see Wolf of Wall Street and she was like, this was fun. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I think we saw Frozen afterwards and the fact that we enjoyed both of those goofy, those, not goofy, but, like, just very different movies. It's like, okay, this could be fun. I uh, don't really know where I'm going with this. The moment of Michael episodes are always strange because I kind of go on with a topic and I don't write any notes. I just, I just talk. And I just like to see where that's going to go. Um... Me and my me and my wife, because uh, we I always like to have one of my moment with Michael topics in my back pocket just in case for future reference. If there's any time I want to like, if you know something comes up and Nick can't record or I can't record, I like having episodes on hand just in case, you know, when things happen. So coming soon, my wife and I are going to record an episode about her descent into film culture and what it was like dating someone who was so into it and just kind of see like how things change and then um we came up with an idea where we, we want to start i've got a i've got book reference books one of them being 101 cult films to see before you die and since i'm still continuing her film education i thought this might be a fun way to Continue it. <laughs> I can't talk. Uh, just watch through everything in that book, and just record an episode on each one. Just whenever we feel like it, and just have it available. I don't know. It's just something I'm kicking around. But um, uh, before we wrap up today, I uh, received a mystery package in the mail from my friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Um, after I gave them a very, very favorable favorable review for Psycho Cop Returns because I really love that film, and they did a lot of cool stuff to it. Uh, they sent me another package. And I didn't know this was coming. They sent me a movie called Nurse Sherry, or Al Adamson's Nurse Sherry.
1: I'm not going back there. Look, Beth, the only way we can get this thing over with is to burn the body. Now, for those who have seen The Exorcist, Carrie, and Ruby, here is new unspeakable horror in Nurse Sherry. From a doomed medical operation to the return of an evil human soul driven to evil in a strange and gruesome story from the other side of life. You know absolutely nothing about what you're dealing with. Don't be afraid, take my hand, come with me, Sherry, and I'll introduce you to the bliss that lies beyond the borders of hell. Living, breathing terror chills your flowing blood and shocks your nervous system, cold, in Nurse Sherry, it's the year's most frightening journey into the hidden world of the supernatural. And it soon becomes a nightmare of living hell and torment. Gotcha. If we were in the 17th century, I'd be inclined to diagnose her symptoms as a classical case of possession. Don't touch me! Stay where you are. Don't interfere with things you know nothing about. Your powers are are finite. Mine are limitless. Meet Nurse Sherry and travel into the hidden corridors of a twisted mind through the very core of her tormented soul. (coughs) It's more bizarre, more terrifying than your most frightening fears. Nurse Sherry, don't miss Nurse Sherry for an evening of pleasure and terror. Nurse Sherry in color, rated R for adults, under 17, not admitted without parent, from Independent International.
0: Uh, Let me read to you what this movie's about, because it immediately intrigued me. Meet Sherry for an evening of pleasure and terror. Young and beautiful Nurse Sherry, played by Jill Jacobson, has been possessed by a crazed preacher who died of a heart attack. Under his demonic control, he uses Sherry to enact revenge against those he believes were responsible for his death. As Sherry begins to carry out his bloody bidding, two fellow nurses realize that the only way to stop her may be to exercise the forces of evil out of her in a ghastly and dangerous ritual. Directed by legendary cult filmmaker Al Adamson of *Dracula vs. Frankenstein, Nurse Sherry is a violent and sleazy hybrid of nurse films and supernatural horror, chock full of gloriously ludicrous twists, over-the-top death scenes, and a smattering of TNA. Vinegar Syndrome proudly presents Nurse Sherry on Blu-ray for the first time anywhere in the world, freshly restored in a 2K off of its original 35mm negative and featuring all new interviews with its stars and iconic producer, Sam Sherman. This was a strange film. <laughs> like it, it was like a um, if you took a kind of a sleazy nurse exploitation sex film, removed most of the sex, and then added a sub and added the plot for Carrie, you've got Nurse Sherry. As I said, Al Adamson directed this film, you know, it's starring Jill Jacobson, Jeffrey Land, Marilyn Joy, Catherine Press, and Erwin Fuller. Uh, Al Adamson, I'm not super familiar with his work. He's he's a, a schlock filmmaker. But uh there's something about this film that while I didn't love it, I kept thinking about it. And like I had fun with it. It's a movie I I'd feel I like could be fun with a group of people and I'd like to show it to people, but I could not stop thinking about it and it's not because necessarily anything it was extremely well made um but there's charm to it and i couldn't put my finger on it and i started watching this film features you know the original theatrical cut and then it's also got a uh an exploitation version which puts all the the violence and sex back into the film and it's it's fun for its own reasons but um And I was trying to get to the bottom of how I felt about this film. So I listened, I rewatched through most of the film with the commentary track by producer Sam Sherman. And I feel like what truly interested me about this film is the fact that I feel like everyone made this film with a different intention. Sam Sherman, his story behind it is really interesting because when he's talking on the commentary, it's very much about like you make he makes it sound like ownership of this film belongs to him like not physical ownership but like creative ownership where he's constantly talking about how he's working about adamson he's trying to elevate this film above and this is the way he talks about this film like it's he views it as being a bigger more um interesting production than it really was he's talking about his collaboration with Al Addison, who he has got you know very nice things to say about him, but really realized in the end that he wanted to make this film a step above so like this entire film was shot in 16mm and then he went back and realized, you know, this movie needs more. And decided to do reshoots of the film on 35mm. So some of the stuff looks really good. And like he added, like, car chases and scenes of possessions and whatnot. And it was just, like, nuts. Um, and then Marilyn Joy, who is one of the actresses, she had a great time with this film because she was a burlesque dancer, had no problem getting nude, and just had a grand old time. But then, like... And also had, you know, nothing bad to say about uh, director Al Adamson. But then the strangest interview on this disc was from Jill Jacobson. You know, when she did the film, she was fresh out of college, had a degree. She harped on that a couple of times. It's like, you know, whenever like, she'd do a nude scene, she's like, why am I doing this? I've got a degree. And I thought that was funny. It's weird. She says she blocked out most of this film. And it's she got from what she said, she got super method while making it so much so that she like on camera and off camera, she believed she was possessed by the devil according to what she says. So it's like, here's this, this woman who honestly was cast because she's got big cans who is getting so into this role that she felt she was possessed by the devil. It doesn't remember making a lot of it. And, said that, like, she didn't really know how to feel about Al Adamson. I was just looking for his approval. So it's like, here's these two really, really, like, the producer who's just trying to make, in his mind, a great picture that's going to make money, which, from what I heard, it made money. You know, uh, Marilyn Joy, who just, just, it's a paycheck, it's fun for her, it's whatever. And then you got Joe Jacobson, who's just like, I was possessed. Or at least, I thought I was possessed. And it's like, here's these three really strange, interesting stories. And I was like, I thought the making of this movie was probably more fascinating than the movie. You know, and nothing against the movie. But I do have to say, Vinegar Syndrome, they are doing wonders for films that should not look as good as they do. And the thing I also really appreciate about Vinegar Syndrome is they are really good about if there's something potentially wrong with the print or their Blu-ray or whatever, they put a message up right at the beginning and say something along the lines of, you know, here's what we had to work with full transparency this is not going to look the best because this is all we had available and they said that about this one since um you know 16 millimeter they knew it was going to be uh, they shot it on 16 millimeter they had to blow it up the 35 millimeter to project it it was uh first couple screenings of the film it just wasn't working for producer sam sherman so he said let's go shoot some more stuff and he shot it on. He shot new stuff on 35 millimeter which he was intercutting with the 16 millimeter which was blown up so the quality is uh, a bit disparaging, and, and um, some of the 16 millimeter stuff looks soft. But regardless, like, even as soft as it do, like it supposedly looks, this they cleaned this film so well. It's a gorgeous restoration. I've looked up pictures of what this movie looked like beforehand, and it was garbage. It just looked terrible. It was muddy. It was murky. It was dark. Like no one a movie as goofy as, a, as Nurse Sherry should not have the restoration it does, should not look as great as it does but here's this cult filmmaker Al Adamson who's got this you know, this okay movie out that's got a legitimate release it's 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 cleaned up, it's restored it looks great and I I really would have loved, I don't think he's with us anymore I would have loved just to hear his thoughts on Nurse Sherry, he's the, he's the one voice I'm missing from this from this beautiful restoration is is al adamson i would love to have heard his thoughts but regardless nurse sherry is a beautifully restored uh kind of sexploitation romp that i think is great with a group of people um it's one of those films that like if i know i have people coming over i'm gonna like oh you guys want to see something fucking weird we're gonna watch nurse sherry uh and just get their reactions to it um i recommend it you know I also think it's important, because, uh, the collection of old films, and uh, and the thing I like about Vinegar Syndrome, too, is they find a nice balance between keeping it close to, like, how it probably looked playing in a theater, and I also love that inst- instead of scene selection, they do reels, they, like you can you can skip to each reel so you can skip to reel one reel two reel three and reel four that's what they do for scene selections and i think it's a it's a nice touch so yeah nurse sherry um and then its alternate title being killer's curse but I think that's it for me this week, guys. Uh, I've been rambling on for a while now, and I don't really know how much I else I got to say. Thank you for your patience. Uh, me and Nick will be back, we're hoping, for the next episode, 100%. percent uh, talking about uh, Michael Lehman and Daniel Waters' cult 80s film, Heather's, one of my all-time favorite films. And a film I've probably done way too much research for for this episode. But um, thanks a lot for listening, guys. We will talk to you soon. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, you just like in the episode, like, rate, subscribe, find us on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, always giving my film recommendations. So we'll talk soon. Have a good one, guys.